So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. All right, Rockstars, listen, I had a little issue last week. iTunes, Apple iTunes removed this podcast for three days. It was an absolute disaster. I had sleepless nights. I mean, it was crazy because I had put some extra words after real estate Rockstars. I put the word selling, sales, you know, trying to think that they would help with search engine optimization. I was actually given advice to do that. And they took it down without notice because they said I they don't they frown on that or they don't allow that. So now it's just real estate rock stars with Pat Hyben, which was fine and it's fixed. But what happened was the only people that were able to listen to Wednesdays and Fridays episodes either did it on Stitcher Radio right on their non-iphone on their smartphone right on their android whatever or on a computer or were subscribed so if you were a subscriber on itunes you were able to get the friday and wednesday's episode but if you weren't a subscriber you couldn't hear it now i don't plan on that happening again but my point is that the subscribers benefited and so if you have not hit the subscribe button Please, please subscribe to this podcast just in case any shenanigans happen like that again. You know, you're guaranteed to get every single episode. Thanks, guys. All right, Rockstar Nation, I got a great guest today coming out of Portland, Oregon, and I've had a couple commercial agents on the show before, um, and I always like to mix it up because it's there's a lot of agents out there that do both residential, commercial, and property management all wrapped into one, and um, a lot of agents turn down business uh, because they're a little scared of commercial real estate. Uh, and I really don't think you should be. And and I think that it's something that you guys can learn if you don't already know it. And uh, certainly there's tons of information out there as well as books like the book that Mr. Doug Marshall wrote, uh, which is why he is here on the show today because I read his book and it's a, a super book uh, on the subject. And, and we're going to get to some nitty gritty today. So I'm excited about this. So Doug, uh, welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Well, Pat, thank you for having me on your show. Doug, why don't you give our rock star audience a little rundown on who you are so they could get to know you better. Okay, great. I have 35 years of experience in commercial real estate. Started in 1980, and I've been on the development side of the business uh, for the first few years, and then property management for three. I was uh, the on property management of uh, of 700 units of Class A apartments in Atlanta and Nashville. But since 1987, I have been exclusively on the financing side of the business. 
Um, my entrepreneurial journey began when I started my own uh, commercial real estate brokerage firm back in 2003. And what I do for a living is I, I help real estate investors get the best possible financing for their rental property so they can realize a better return on their investments. And I've been a, a, a real estate investor since 2007. So I've been uh, on the investing side of the business uh, for about 11 years now. I guess if I had anything I want, Pat, I wanted to get um, to share with your audience is that there's real wealth to be created in owning real estate. And it's not a myth and it's not a get rich quick scheme and, it's, and it actually works. Um, and, I, and I would cite myself as an example. 11 years ago, I had no passive sources from real estate investments. And today I have nine. And every time I add a new source of passive income, I'm that much closer to financial freedom. And if your goal is to become financially free, by that I mean your passive income uh, uh, consistently exceeds your personal expenses, um, then I believe strongly that uh, real estate investing is the, the surest path to get there. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to get there. And it's probably the, certainly the safest, I believe, as far as risk with that concern, because I've done it too, been many different levels. So let me ask you, uh, 2007, now we're in 2018. What have you bought in the last 10 years or so? I've been an investor in nine different properties over that period of time. Uh, of those, Which, What asset class would you say? Uh, seven of those have been apartments. One is student housing. And then a, one, a, a small uh, office building. In fact, it's the building I'm in right now. Okay. Awesome. And um, so let's talk about the market today, right? Now, how's the commercial real estate market today? We can break it down into asset classes. I know, you know, some of these questions are going to be a loaded, uh, a, a little bit rhetorical, but let's start with what a lot of agents out there, uh, residential agents, which most of our listeners are, are starting to see or, or have seen for a long time uh, more and more of, and that is multifamily residential. Uh, what, how, on, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being hot, uh, so hot don't touch it, and uh, one being cold, meaning uh, cold, and now's the time to dive in and, and buy some of these, what, where do you rank multifamily apartment buildings? Well, I, you know, Pat, I believe that the uh, multifamily market probably peaked a year or two years ago in the Pacific Northwest. I can't speak for other parts of the country, but back about 2016, we were getting uh, double-digit uh, rental increases, uh, 15% or more, and now it's starting to calm down. I believe the market has peaked, and uh, it's still a good market uh, for, as far as owning commercial real estate, owning uh, apartments, it's a great, a great market to be in. But to buy it right now with, with interest rates going up and with cap rates staying the same, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so if I were to, to answer your question from one to 10, where one is now the time to buy and 10 is, uh, you shouldn't, uh, shouldn't even consider it, I would put it at an eight or nine or possibly a 10. It's, it's probably in that, that range. It's hot. Okay, so uh, what about office buildings? Well, I think it's true of all property types in the Pacific Northwest, with the exception of, uh, of industrial. I believe 
um, that really right now to find a good property, uh, an income producing property in the Pacific Northwest, it's not impossible, but it's becoming very difficult. And you have to really search the market for a value added play, something where you as the buyer have a, a greater vision for that property than, uh, than what the, the seller has for that property. That's the only right. way you can make money today. And your vision has to be, has to manifest itself. So, so what, but what, what Doug is saying is this, like there's a million things for sale commercially, right? He's not saying there's, no, there's nothing for sale. He's saying quite the opposite, but the things for sale are priced at a point where the return that you would get on your money is so low for the risk involved, right? That you're better off putting it somewhere else unless you think that you're going to be able to somehow value add, which basically means jack up the rents after you do something, right? And, you know, and I talked to a guy last week who's selling a apartment building in a remote part of South Carolina. I won't mention the, any other details because it hasn't settled yet. But, at the, but in the conversation, he says, he says, at the end of the day, this is a small town and, and, and this small, and I'm not going to be able to jack these rents up anymore. And the investor buying it feels he or she is going to be able to value add, quote unquote. That's a buzzword, value add, which means jack up the rents uh, by improving it or doing stuff, putting in a dog park or whatever, right? So essentially what Doug is saying is uh, there's plenty for sale, but unless you have value add, don't buy because you're not going to get the returns unless for some reason you find a diamond in a rough, correct? I except for industrial. Am I paraphrasing your statement well enough? Pat, you've done it beautifully. So let's talk about industrial. So industrial, and this is funny because like literally, you know, I have a good friend, Arnold, that uh, is a Chicago area that does a lot of industrial and a trucking company. And, and I had a conversation with him about a month ago and he, you know, that's, that's what he likes. And I, I started thinking to myself, well, you know what? I should really buy an industrial building. You know what I mean? Because I feel like that's, not the class that everybody's after because it's boring and it's it's not sexy uh, it's forgotten almost and, and it's and it is risky in that uh, you know it's a lot of them are like single tenants maybe two or three tenants so if somebody pulls out you're screwed it's not like an office building with 12 different tenants or an apartment building with 80 different tenants so talk to me about industrial well, the industrial market in the Pacific Northwest is very, very hot, and it, it continues to be so. And the reason is, is the in the last uh, year or so, um, marijuana has become legal in, in uh, Oregon and Washington. And because of that, uh, all these marijuana grow uh, facilities are purchasing uh, industrial buildings. Uh, and they can do that. And so there's now a new added demand uh, for industrial properties and the amount of new properties cannot keep up. So there's a pent up demand for, for industrial, which is causing the values of these properties to really climb. It's interesting that there would be like that many, right? Because you wouldn't, because I've, I've on an investor end, 
I've been involved in a couple, right? And I did one in Maryland as an investor. And uh, part of their challenge in the beginning was getting space that didn't have a loan on it. Because if you have a, any sort of federally insured loan, uh, one, of the, one of the clauses in your lender documents is that you won't loan to uh, some, a tenant. You won't lease to a tenant that uh, runs a business that's not federally legal. And so you can't, since it's state legal but not federally, you're not allowed to per your lender documents. So you got to have a place that's paid off cash, uh, essentially, right? Or has some sort of hard money loan. That's correct. Uh, you cannot finance through traditional uh, sources uh, the financing of a property that has a tenant uh, that uh, has something to do with marijuana, whether it's a grow facility or a distribution uh, of it or a sale, uh, you know, the sales side. So that really leaves you one of three options. Either you can buy the, the, the property all cash or you can do seller financing. That's a real possibility. And the third one is uh, hard money lenders are out there. They'll be happy to, f- to finance those types of properties. Yeah, that, well, that's an interesting phenomenon. That the, the, and, and I guess it's bigger in Oregon and uh, Washington State because they got both rec and medical and uh, uh, their laws are a lot looser. Like in, 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 some, in, in some of the states, uh, such as Maryland, D.C., uh, some of these other states, Massachusetts, where they've recently opened things up, uh, they, they limit the amount, right? So there's only so many growth facilities. There's only so many dispensaries. So you don't have this mad rush for commercial real estate. It's very interesting. Hey, rock stars. Are you worried that your next set of leads will be a total waste of time and money? Or maybe that those missed calls and texts are turning potential clients into missed opportunities. You should be because these are two huge problems that will absolutely ruin a real estate business's profitability. Fortunately, Rebus CTO Austin Altman and I have come up with a solution. Rebus Complete. And it's got everything you need to maximize conversion commissions and profitability guys this is the total package when you sign up not only are you getting the best training in the industry every single course we offer you're getting high quality exclusive leads and access to the most advanced follow-up systems on the market i've got austin on the line now to talk about what rebus complete has to offer hey austin why don't you start by telling our listeners about the leads we send our members. Sure. Well, like you said, Pat, these are high quality. They're not just people who are passively interested in real estate. They are people who are actively looking to buy and or sell in our members market right now. Also, every single lead we send is 100% exclusive. We aren't sending the same leads out to hundreds or even thousands of agents like most lead distributors. When an agent gets a lead from our program, it's theirs and theirs alone. Wow, and these leads are integrated into our automated follow-up system, right? That's absolutely right. All of our leads are managed by the system's state-of-the-art AI. 
And what's awesome about that is the fact that it not only makes extremely fast contact with incoming leads, but it can also be configured to book appointments based on agents availability automatically. It's a foolproof system. No more missed contacts and no more missed opportunities. Wow, that's kind of cool. Actually, it's quite incredible. Uh, guys, like the experts say, it takes speed to lead to succeed. If you're not able to respond to a lead within five minutes, you might as well forget about it. Yeah, it really is the answer to the follow-up problem that causes agents to lose potential business. And it's not just great for the hot leads we're sending to our members. The system also nurtures leads that aren't ready to take action today. It does everything from emails to text to ringless voicemails, even physical postcards. The system makes sure that whenever a lead is ready to buy or sell a home, our members are the agent that they think about first. <laughs> Man, I wish I had that when I was selling real estate. All right, Austin, this is great. Why don't you just tell our listeners how they can get more information on Rebus Complete? Sure. Either they text Rebus, R-E-B-U-S, to 444-999, or they can go directly to hybendigital.com slash Rebus. The page has more information on the program. In fact, it's got a video really going into a little bit of detail about what the program has to offer. And it also includes a form that agents can complete to book a complimentary discovery call. Oh, and if you're interested in becoming a Rebus Complete member, you're going to want to act fast. Before I forget, I wanted to mention that we assign slots on a zip code basis so that we can ensure that leads are exclusive. Unfortunately, that means once a slot for a zip code is full, we're not able to take on any new members in that area. Guys, you don't want to miss out on this. Pause the podcast and go to hybendigital.com slash Rebus. That's hybendigital.com slash R-E-B-U-S or simply text R-E-B-U-S, Rebus, to 444-999. That's Rebus to 444-999. Hey, and if you're enrolled in any Rebus course, don't forget to mention that during your complimentary call, what we're going to do for current customers is waive the entire membership setup fee. This is a game changer, guys, and I guarantee that you're going to regret it if you miss your chance to join. Pause the podcast and go to hybendigital.com slash Rebus or just text the word Rebus, R-E-B-U-S, to 444-999. That's Rebus to 444-999 now. Um, okay, so let's get some uh, other nitty-gritties, and thanks for sharing all that. That's fascinating right now. So let's talk about, uh, you've got this thing uh, that you talk about in the book, which is the five questions every investor needs to answer before buying their first property, right? Uh, commercial property. And can we dig into these? What are these five questions? Can we just maybe go through them one by one? Sure. But before I do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take a, a twist on this. I think that, you know, I believe the number one problem for new investors, and you, Pat, you tell me whether you agree with this or not. I really believe that the, the, the number one problem is, uh, is fear, don't you think? And there's really two types of fear of getting started. One is the fear of failure, and the, the other one is the fear of the unknown. And 
the fear of failure is all about looking foolish in the eyes of their family and friends if they, if, you know, if the investment goes wrong. And I get it. And I'm sure you do too. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that new investors need to adopt a, a different mindset, a mindset of either you win or you learn. And everything we do, we either win or we learn. And, uh, and by that, I mean, we either make the right decision and the investment's a home run or we learn an important lesson so that next time we have a better outcome. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, and you're going to have losers, right? I mean, you're going to have losers. And, yep. and uh, so you, you better hope that you learn from each one or else you're going to have more losers and winners. Yep. I believe that, uh, you know, I, I love uh, Winston Churchill's many quotes that he has. One of them that I, I find really appropriate is that success is not final and failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And it's really true in real estate investing. Sometimes, you, you know, you get a home run and sometimes you, you learn what you, to do next time so that you have a higher probability of success. So the, the, the first uh, issue is fear of failure. And the second one is fear of the unknown. And that's where I want to uh, really talk about these five questions. For most of us, you know, investing in uh, real estate is a big leap into the unknown. Uh, but it, it doesn't have to be that way if every investor answered five questions, they could really have a pretty good understanding uh, of where, uh, where they're going and, and a lot of the unknown would be taken out. And the first question, surprisingly, Pat, is one that most people never even ask. And that is, do I want to be an active or a passive investor? You know? And by an active investor, it's, it's one who makes all the decisions. He, he, he determines what to buy and how, to, how much to pay for it and how to manage it and how to finance it. Uh, a passive investor leaves all those decisions to an active investor, and his role is just to contribute the capital needed to buy the property. So the first question is, do I want to be an active or a passive investor? Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I think you're better off thinking, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, that you should be a passive investor because, well, no, I guess not. I, guess, I, mean, I mean, it depends on how, what type of active investor, like how, how deep you are involved and what i'm thinking of is uh buying it to for uh an owner occupant or buying it to rent it out and i think right. a lot of people make mistakes when they buy owner occupant yeah i i think that you know it just depends on the personality bent of the of the person i i am a passive investor i've made a lot of money in the last 11 years but i have glommed on to a somebody that I've known for 25 years, I've financed his properties. And about 11 years ago, I just asked, can I, you know, can I start investing with you? And he said, sure. And so I, I have uh, um, somebody that I invest with regularly, but all nine of those properties are through him. And uh, I've known him for 25 years and he's been in the business for 45. So he knows the business backwards and forwards. And all I do is I provide him, well, I'm a little bit of a, of a hybrid. I, I provide him my, uh, the money to help invest in the next property, but also I finance his properties. And, and a couple of his properties, I'm actually the asset manager. I oversee those. I oversee the property management companies. So that's how I, I invest. But a lot of people um, rather be a, a, an active investor. And there, if you want to be an active investor, you know there really are three questions. And that is, who do I want on my real estate advisory team is the very first question. 
you know, mm. and, and, to, you know, to answer that, you need to just kind of do a self-evaluation by saying, where are my knowledge gaps? Uh, where would it be better to have somebody fill that gap than for me to take on that role? So I have, you know, you could, you could use a real estate broker or a mortgage broker or a real estate attorney or uh, a general contractor, a property management company. A, a or all, all of them. Or all right? of them. I mean, you might want to make a list. I mean, all, all, all these people could certainly be on your quote unquote board. Exactly. And uh, if you have that board figured out before you make your first investment, just think how much, uh, how, how much reduced risk you have as a result of that. And that fear of the unknown would be taking, you know, I'm not saying it would go away completely, but if you had those people backing you up, you have a whole lot more confidence going forward. The second decision they need is, you know, how will I finance the property? You know, you could shop the mortgage market on your own, or you could use the services of a commercial mortgage broker. And then the decision, the third decision is, is how will I manage the property? Will I self-manage it? Will I hire an on-site manager uh, who reports directly uh, to you, or do I hire a property management company? As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. So if you had those three questions answered, just think how much easier it would be uh, to buy a property, you know, so that it, it, that fear of the unknown would be taken away. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to the active versus passive thing, like I, I almost recommend to people that I talk to, to do both. Number one, you know, you know if you're new in the game, go out and learn some things by buying a little piece of crap property and renting it out section eight or something, right? Just something you can afford, something you can control, you know, and learn and start a little profit loss, learn, you know, how to analyze and collect rents or whatever, buy something affordable, rent it out, right? A house, right? Or a row house or something. Then um, passive wise, you know, uh, if you are going to throw money at someone else and trust them, you want to see that they have a proven track record, right? Uh, Doug, there's a lot of, especially there's a lot of syndication going on right now in the multifamily space. Yes. And a lot of it uh, does not have a proven track record, meaning they, they, they have numbers that they've run that they've bought for $49 on a, a program you can buy online, but they've never actually had experience 
buying, adding value, raising rents, and dealing with multiple investors on single on on multifamily properties before. And, and if they haven't, then you may want to go to someone who's done 12 or 20 or 100 of them and has proven themselves uh, to know what they're doing. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that they're, especially now, you have to be v- uh, very, very wise in how you choose who you're going to invest with. And not only you know, you, you've got to find somebody that has good experience. But another, another factor, Pat, is that uh, a few years ago, I was looking at uh, financing a, a particular property where there was a, a syndicator involved, and they were going to provide all the expertise. And so I, 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 I kept asking questions like, how much money does, do you have in this transaction? How That's much money a great are, question, by the way. Are you investing in it? And they kept sending me stuff that that they weren't going to, willing to ask that, or to answer that question until I just said, "So it appears that you have no equity in this deal. Is that correct?" And they said yes. So what they were doing is, is they were getting the all the the investment um, dollars for this, you know, for the property from their investment pool. And if they lost, you know, let's say the the the, the investment went south, they lost no money none whatsoever. So you need to find out if they have money in the game or not. Uh, and sometimes they don't. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if they don't, then, you know, you should be suspect. Yes. And in fact, not only should you be suspect, you should run away from them as fast as you can. <laughs> Tell me about the deal uh, you got your head kicked in on. Okay. Well, I want to, Pat, I want to let you in on a little secret. I'm sure this comes as a shock to you, but not every commercial real estate property that I've invested in has turned out to be a home run. You know, I, I, I just want to let you know that that's the case. Yeah, and I can say the same thing. I've, I've had several, uh, you know, luckily not as many. I, I've had many more non-real estate uh, related uh, investments that I, I lost everything on. But as far as real estate investments, uh, it's harder be, to lose all your equity because, you know, it just, yeah. you know, I, but, but, but it does happen. So tell me. Okay. Well, this one I didn't, I didn't lose. Actually, I just got a, a, a mediocre rate of return on it. Turned out to be about a 7% internal rate of return. But um, that, that ain't bad at all. Well, I mean, I mean, it's not, it's not good if you held it for 20 years, but. I held it for uh, seven or eight years. And during that time, the stock market took off. So I would have been better, in theory, if I had to put my money in the stock market than to invest in this property. But let me, I'm, 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 I'm jumping ahead. In the summer of 2007, which turned out to be the absolute peak of the last real estate cycle, uh, I, uh, along with a, a like-minded group uh, of investors, purchased a 32-unit apartment located in a small town. And at the time, it looked, you know, Pat, it looked like it was a good investment. It had large unit sizes. Uh, it had one-story buildings. It was located in a nice, uh, quiet little town. And it had all sorts of you know, upside, at least from what I could tell. So I was thinking, hey, what could go wrong? Well, it turned out that there were lots of things that could go wrong. And some of them were things that even the most knowledgeable of real estate investors couldn't have predicted. Uh, to my great relief, we sold that property a few years ago. 
And uh, this, this is what I, I learned. I, I learned four things from that uh, particular uh, purchase and sale. Uh, first of all, market timing is everything. You know, the old adage, you make your money on an investment when you purchase it, not when you sell it. Uh, it's very true. Uh, this, this investment had very little chance to perform well because we simply paid too much for it. We bought this property at the very peak of the uh, real estate cycle. But if we had purchased, Pat, if we had purchased this same property a year or two earlier at the much less inflated price, this property probably would have performed admirably. So the first thing was market timing is everything. Yeah, no, I agree. And I've got stories that beat that, you know, with some commercial properties I've owned that, you know, where one of them, I lost all my, uh, I lost about eight, 70% of my equity yeah. uh, on it. And, uh, you know, you know, you, there's some people you hear, I had Robert Kiyosaki on the show. He says, I've never lost money on a piece of real estate ever. Um, but the reason he can say that is because uh, he never sells. Um, so if you never sell and you live to a hundred years old, you know, most likely over time, you're going to make money on it. Same thing could be said of residential rentals, things like that. Right. Um, yep, yep. um and that kind of, um, leads us to some equations that people use and, and you, you know, mentioned this before, and I know you're not a fan of this and I'm curious why. So when you buy a property, you get a return. So let's say you buy something for a hundred grand you profit five grand a year. That's a 5% return that you're getting that year, right? I'm just saying you put a hundred thousand, let's do cash on cash. You put a hundred thousand in cash down, you get 5,000 back that year. It's a 5% return on the money you invested. Now you had mentioned uh, some, a term using commercial real estate, internal rate of return, IRR. Tell me why you're not a fan of, commercial agents, sellers, or anybody in the game who uses IRR as an equation? Well, first of all, I, you know, there are a lot of people that will accuse me of being a, uh, a, a Neanderthal when it comes to internal rates of return because, you know, that's supposed to be the, the holy grail, so to speak, of uh, investing uh, analysis. But reality is the reason why I don't like IRR for, for – determining a buy no, or a no buy decision is that the, um, the factors that you use to come up with it are not only unknown, they are unknowable. You, don't, you have no way of knowing how long you're going to keep that property. You have no way of knowing what the cap rate is going to be of that property when you sell it. You have no way of knowing what your cash flows are going to be over time. You have no way of knowing... Um, how rents are going to increase and, and expenses are going to increase over time. So you're making all these assumptions that reality you have no understanding of. Now, I do believe in IRR. As I, I told you on this property, I, I, I ended up with a 7% internal rate of return. But I believe on using it after the fact, after you've sold the property. Once you've sold the property, you know how much money that uh, you put into the property. Right. Down payment. So so, you know, guys, just, just so everybody understands, internal rate of return essentially includes the, the, what they call the disposition, which means what includes the money that you make or don't make when you sell it. Yes. So, if you never sell it, 
then then it's hard to really have a high internal rate of return because a lot of these people will advertise properties with internal rate of returns and they're jacked up because it's saying that in five years or seven years or whatever, 10 years maybe, that they plan on selling it and there's going to be you know, an increase of value of 7% a year. And they're just kind of pulling this out of their butt, you know, of, of, of that. And so what Doug is saying is that you just don't know if the market's going to go up, if the market's going to go down, if you're going to be able to raise rents, uh, if you're going to be able to sell it in seven years, you don't know any of that. Really, in real estate, all, uh, all you know is what the current rents are, and what you're paying for it now and the current expenses. And you can figure out a return uh, for the first year at least yep. uh, based on the previous year. Uh, That's absolutely correct. And so let me also say that uh, right out of college, the first thing I, I did was I worked for a, a syndicator, a developer who syndicated apartments, and I was on in their financial analysis department. And um, I was the guy that played with the numbers to make sure that it, that uh, the the uh, offering memorandum that went out had a high enough IRR that people would accept it. So I just played with the numbers until I got the IRR everybody wanted. And so you could, I could, um, I could lower the cap rate in year ten so that the property had a higher uh, return that way, or I could increase uh, inflation over time. I could do a variety of things to play with the numbers to get the IRR to where I wanted. Uh, the other reason why I don't like it is that um, you could have identical IRRs, that's say 15% internal rate return, and one is based on um, real cash flow over time, you know, and the, the property ge generates it, uh, but has a modest sale uh, sale price in year 10. And the other one could have almost virtually no cash flow over the, over the years, but have a very large uh, a sale price in year 10. And they could come out with this exact same IRR. Well, I don't know about you, Pat, but I will take any day, I'll take the, the property that cash flows over the one that doesn't. And yet uh, IRR doesn't distinguish between the two. Yeah, very yeah, very interesting. Like like the property that you um you know, your loser property, your 32 unit apartment building, if you had never sold it up until let's say the sale date, right? If you had never sold it, you know, what would that return have been? Well, it would have been very poor because my cash on cash return was right around 2% uh over the you know, during so it would have been two percent. Yeah, two yeah. percent instead of seven percent, right? The yep. only reason it was seven percent because you made five percent on the on the sale. You sold it for five percent more, and I'm I'm just roughly right. Then you paid, so you made a little bit of money on that. Exactly. So, okay, this is fascinating, Doug. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you jumping around. I know we jumped around a lot today, but we covered some good stuff, some fun stuff. I appreciate you being flexible. Listen, let's um I'll wrap this up telling everybody about your free gift that you've brought the Rockstar Nation today. What'd you bring, Doug? Well, I'm bringing today the first couple of chapters in my book, Mastering the Art of Commercial Real Estate Investing. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Um, so guys, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this on a hybendigital.com backslash Doug Marshall. That's hybendigital.com backslash Doug 
Marshall. And I'm also going to put it in the agent success toolbox, which you can find on hybendigital.com backslash toolbox, or just text the word toolbox to 444-999. Doug, this has been fun, buddy. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. If I am ever in Portland, Oregon, I will look you up and uh, we can break some bread, my friend. Well, thank you, Pat. Thank you very much for allowing me to be on your show today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. If this free content is giving you a ton of value, I want to ask a small favor in return. I need you to pull out your pointing finger and hit the subscribe button. Yes, hit subscribe, please. The more subscribers that we get on Real Estate Rockstars, the better guests are attracted to the shows. We'll get more guests from the top companies, from the top teams, and even more celebrity guests like Robert Kiyosaki and Barbara Corcoran. Also, if you're not a member of our free Facebook group, go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio right on Facebook and join the conversation. I'm on there myself on FaceTime Lives, and we have a lot of communications and questions about the show, and I'd love to see you there. And it's free. People ask me all the time, where am I on social media? I'm real easy to find. Just type in my name. My IG is I am Pat Hyben. It is blowing up on Instagram, adding tons of subscribers. And I'm on there probably twice a day. So definitely follow me on Instagram as well as everywhere else. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.